Hello and welcome in to An Abundance of Thrones, looking at Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 7, Mockingbird. Garrett here with Brad and Wade. Hello. Hello. What's going on, fellas? Seven down, three to go. Yeah, I could do with another seven to thirteen, really. Show standard so episode or standard good. season length. Let's go for twenty-one. Right? I mean, to come on. 20, twenty-one to twenty-five. Come on. H- HBO's got the budget. They've already renewed it for five and uh, season all the way through what season six. Something like that. Yeah. All Bunch right. of jerks. Uh, as always, we do want to emphasize the spoiler. Factor, we will be looking at episode 7 in its entirety, along with the explicit filter, because Wade has a big fat potty mouth. So send the children away now. Preferably screaming. <laughs> uh, wow. Some of the business... Winter this- is coming. <laughs> <laughs> Wildlings are coming, apparently. Uh, yes. White walkers are the ones coming you should be worried about. Uh, also true. Business of the episode, director Alex Sakharov. Yes, I spelled it right this time. Sorry, Alec, from last week. Um, <laughs> I, I do I do sincerely feel bad. Viewership, we see the spike, so my blame of mothers uh, is founded, clearly. We had 7.2 million viewers for U.S. alone, which is the new record for Game of Thrones. Nice. This is all according to the Game of Thrones, the Wikipedia Game of Thrones page. So all Um, made up. So yeah, we totally made it up, along with everybody else. (laughs) So just another recap uh, that I'm sure I did last week as well, but Alec also directed Season 2, Episode 3, What is Dead May Never Die, Uh, Season 3, Episode 6, The Climb, and clearly Season 4, Episode 6, The Laws of Gods and Men. And for the episode summary, here we go. After learning that Cersei has appointed the vicious Gregor Kuglain, also known as the Hound, as her champ or sorry, the Mountain, Jesus, I can't believe I almost fucking got that wrong. Um, the Mountain. <laughs> it's like as, you don't even watch this or it's something. It's like I'm a... Never mind. Uh, as her champion in the upcoming trial by combat, Tyrion is desperately searching for someone to stand for him. When both Jaime and Bronn refuse to fight for his cause, Oberyn Martell steps in, seeing a chance to get even with the murderer of his sister. Danny has sex with Dario before sending him off on a mission. I like how they just totally gloss over that here. Oh, by the way, Danny had sex with Dario. Moving on. Uh, before <laughs> sending him off on a mission to deal with the resurgent slavers at Yonkai, Melisandre and Sinise, wow, uh, which is Stannis' wife for those who weren't keeping track, prepare for their leave of Dragonstone and Jon Snow faces off against Alistair Thorne once again, that fucking asshole, over the incoming wildling threat. Arya and the Hound come across some people from her past, Rorge and Biter. The Hound is wounded but refuses treatment from uh, with fire to cauterize his injury. Uh, also on the road, Brienne and Pod meet another of Arya's companions, Hot Pie, to learn of her survival and her time with the Brotherhood. They then resolve to travel to the Vale, reasoning she would go there in search of living relatives. Meanwhile, in the Vale, Sansa is unwillingly kissed by Peter Baelish. It seemed kind of mutual for a point. Raised the wrath of her Aunt Lysa, who threatened to push her through the Moondor. However, 
Baelish intervenes and shuts Lysa from the Eerie to her death. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that was a nice little ending, huh? And that's the podcast. We're done. Later. We <laughs> made that joke last week. It's not funny two weeks in a row. Um, I'm going to just start off with saying I was a little disappointed in that the episode was called Mockingbird. I thought we were going to spend a lot more time at the Vale, although I'm not sure on what. Um, but we only got that last maybe 15 minutes of the episode focusing on that. I did like the subtlety of Sansa playing in the snow, building the snow castle because that was directly out of the book. So that was kind of cool. And yet they changed it. They did have some creative licensing. Uh, yes. Do you want to express the variance from the book to the show? Uh, I did want to, yes. Fantastic. Do we <laughs> want to do that in later? In the process of getting ready, just give me a second here. My browser closed. With How's my you? notes. How okay, Mockingbird. You? So, um, Rorge is killed by Brienne, not by Arya. Okay. Brienne and Podrick don't actually meet Hot Pie. Correct. Um, and when, when uh, specifically talking about in the Eerie, when Lysa drags Sansa to the moon door, there's a singer there. Yes. Who we haven't heard from since season one in the TV series. But he's the one that gets blamed for Lysa's murder. Which singer was it in the book? Um, uh, are you, you, know, just, are you just talking about singers in general? For the no, show? no. There's a specific character, uh, Marillion. Okay. So he's he was supposed actually, to be in season he, one? He, he, in season one, he was mutilated by Joffrey okay. and disappeared. That's who I was wondering. Yep. Uh, in the books, he's actually at the Eerie at this point, and he's the one that gets blamed for Lysa's murder. Yeah, Peter pawns it off on him. Yep. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they explain their way out of this one with without that um, without those scapegoat. elements. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I, I don't really want to start with the end, but the look on Lysa's face. <laughs> yeah. Wait, which part, when Peter was saying that he only loved one woman and she seemed at ease until he totally bursted that bubble, or when she was descending? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yes. I agree. Just the the, the entire look of shock. I mean, she didn't have a chance. Yes. You know how, how shock can shut you down? Uh, his words were very cleverly crafted so that he wouldn't get a fight out of her. Yeah. You know, just the the timing there of completely shutting her down and pushing her out. It's interesting if you were to go back through the series now and really try to analyze the mastermind that he really is. I mean, he's involved in everything. Yep. But anyway, like you said, without uh, now that we've started at the end, let's jump to the beginning and pull a Fight Club moment and see what's uh, where we start off with. So... Uh, Pretty sure the opening scene was Jamie talking to Tyrion. Tyrion looking for Jamie to be his champion, while also going back and forth on how Jamie made a deal. Tyrion pretty much said, "Screw that," because it was everything Father wanted, and I'm done giving that guy what he wants. Uh, and it felt good to take it away. 
now he's looking for his champion against whoever Cersei names because he doesn't know that yet. And Jamie confesses that even with his left hand, he might be able to beat a um, stable boy. Stable boy. Yes, thank you. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, he he's pretty clearly totally unconfident in his abilities as a swordsman left-handed. And then we meet the mountain, which Wade has been looking for for some time. Dude is Found massive. Him. <laughs> Found him. <laughs> he's that big guy over there. I mean, I mean, how can you misplace a guy that big? <laughs> right? Uh, it is worth mentioning that this is the third mountain we've had uh, in the series. It's been recast a couple times. Uh, so if he looked different to you, you're not crazy. Yeah. I had forgotten that little fact, and based on appearance, it was like, hey, this is the first time we've ever seen him. No, no, it's not. No, no, no. Well, first time you've seen this guy, but right. not the first time introduced to the character. Yep. Uh, I didn't realize how big his damn sword really was. <laughs> that thing was huge. Yes. As big as ice before it was melted? It looks to be about what ice should be, yeah. Speaking of which, no, you don't I know think which... it was bigger than ice. You think so? I think so. I I'm mean, trying to remember. I thought it was specified in the book. I thought it was like a, a, a length and a half of a standard sword. Yeah, but ice in season one, Ned was holding it and the the pummel of the handle was up at like his chin or something like that. If you do see the meme of brace yourself, blank is coming, that is the sword he's holding. It's it's a massive damn sword. I mean, take a look at it. They melted ice down and made two more swords out of it, so... True. I mean, it's a big fucking sword. Which <laughs> you can buy on valeriansteel.com. However, it is not uh, the same dimensions as the show, unfortunately. What's the purpose? Yeah, I know. Sad face. Yeah, so, if, I, if I want that, I want a big, you know, I want the replica. I want the full size. Yeah, don't give me a toothpick. Yeah. <laughs> don't get me needle when I ordered ice. That's right. It's, it's a lapel pen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, where do we jump to from here? Uh, we were at the mountain. Did we jump up to the wall and we saw... The back and forth with snow. Yeah, the There's getting to be a lot of tension there. Yeah, I, I, I have to say they've got to be building us up for something substantial. And I hope it happens soon because uh, like the Theon Greyjoy mutilation, there's only so much back and forth you could take before it's just getting old. And it's starting to really get old. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that finds its end point one way or another soon. Yeah, it was really kind of annoying. It's like, look, I just handled this really big problem. Speaking for Jon Snow, he know Craster knows what, or uh, wow, the, the men at Craster's. Yeah, Carl was the guy, but um, the Night's Watch that were at Craster's Keep, which is the Wildling, uh, Mance Raider. Mance Raider knows what he had. Has what he needs to defeat us. He just doesn't know it. And unless we solve this problem, which we did, we were victorious in it. Um, he has. He'll come after us and he'll take us out easily. You know, 
It seems that every accomplishment that John has that is then just destroyed by the commander. Acting, acting commander. The acting commander, you know, he gets, he handles crashers, he gets snow back. No, Ghost. ghost. And immediately is, well, go lock up that beast because this isn't a place for wild animals. It's like, oh, great, thanks. I find it funny that Thorne still addresses John as uh, Lord Snow. Like, he's kind of trying to be hurtful, mm-hmm. but Snow is his last name, and he did come from a wealthy family, so, like, it's almost, you would think, would be something you would address for courtesy and almost respect, but he always uses it, and he obviously he must mean it negatively or to point out to everybody else, hey, this guy over here was kind of from a a well-off, you know, family was raised in a castle and whatnot, but... Look how far he's fallen. You think that's what it is, is he's trying to point out that now he's nothing but a steward? Yeah, I I think it's definitely that, because being bastard-born, John does not have any claim to the title of Lord. There is no truth in that, there is no substance to that, so... To title him this is a constant reminder of how far he's fallen, that you were once, you know, you were once housed in a castle and the son of a lord, and now you've been rejected and sent away, and, you know, look at what you are now. But what's funny is that, and from the books and the show, he wasn't rejected. He chose this. He thought this was an honorable thing to do. He didn't want to father any children with the last name Snow. So for the greater good, he was going to the wall, to this place that his uncle kind of made it sound to be this highly respected order, only to find out that he's amongst rapers and thieves. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he may be, Thorne may be trying to point out that, yeah, this guy used to be way better than you and now he's your equal, but... At the same time, most of the men at the wall were forced there uh, versus, you know, John making the conscious decision. I think it's interesting, though, the way John has responded to this. I don't know if you remember back in season one, Tyrion had a little. I remember it well. Chit chat with John about how the world is not going to forget your shortcomings your perceived shortcomings. So you can either get ticked off by it and let it hurt you, or you can wear it as armor and make it yours. Yes, and correct. It, it seems like John was listening. It just seems to me the way things are going, he has made this title, which was crafted and is perpetuated as an insult, and he's not letting it be. He's made it his own, this is who he is, and, you know, yep. yeah, okay, I whatever. Agree. On a side note, Kit will be doing a voice in How to Train Your Dragon 2, so congrats to him on his uh, continued success from the Game of Thrones to the silver screen, whether it's primetime acting or uh, or voiceover, but uh, congrats to Kit there. Absolutely. Um. 
Should we jump over to Maureen and talk about the nice little exchange with Danny, Dario, and then Jora? Go for it. So, yeah, this is... I was kind of caught off guard by this one because Danny, although with the original Dario, who I, I still miss, he's still got way more charisma than the actor playing him now. Uh, Danny's always kind of questioned him, but also been enamored by him. And then now Dario breaks into her private chambers. She chastises him at first. He requests to go do what he does best. And he was under the impression it was to kill her enemies because he was also under the impression she did not want him. Only for the curveball to be for him to derobe. And as we find out er, and are alluded to believe with the show summary touching on it, that <laughs> she was in need of a little sexual fulfillment. And apparently Jorah was not on the list to yeah. fulfill. <laughs> <laughs> he was a little bummed by this. Oh yeah, he definitely saw that look in his eyes like, no... Well, you've def she's definitely kind of caused a love triangle here, and I think this is... I was going to bring something up, a discrepancy from the book to the show, but I'm going to hold back because I think it may still be in play, and I don't want to give anything away. But now Jorah comes in in the morning, sees Dario partially clothed, puts two and two together, and then she tells him to confront Dario and tell Dario that Jorah had changed Daenerys' mind on killing all the slavers. So now he's got the jealousy factor. Well, you may have slept with her, but I, um, you know, can have get through to her mentally. Oh, and you're leaving and I get to stay. But so you're going to have some degree of tension and conflict more so than we've had so far, I think. And she will. It almost seemed like she didn't learn her lesson. From the last time when she was, quote, ruling, unquote, where the guy came up and said, you know, you killed my father and he spoke out against the crucifixions. And she's saying, you know, I'm sending off the second sons and they're going to kill all the slavers in that place. What city was it again? Yonkai. But at Yonkai again. So it's... Which is where the Unsolid are from. Yep. Then with... What's his name changing? I can never remember his name. Jorah. Jorah. Uh, changing her mind and her sending in the son of the slaver who spoke against the crucifixions of the kids. Uh, kind of showing a bit less of a broad stroke on handling things. But without him coming in, it seemed like she was just going to go do the same thing she, was gonna, she did in Marine and just... Have the slavers killed and have him sit, have uh, Dario sit there as acting administrator without sending in, of course, she had her mind changed and sends the guy. I didn't catch the first there. time we watched this, the little call out to Ned Stark. Did you, Brad? Uh, elaborate further. So when Jorah is persuading yes. Danny about... You shouldn't go and kill all these slavers because if Ned Stark would have done that to me, I wouldn't be here to advise you. Yes, I did catch um, that. 
and it was kind of subtly thrown in and I didn't really pick up on it the first time. I definitely did the second time around. Um, and really kind of showing that, you know what, just because these people may be bad doesn't mean they can't eventually be good. I was a slave. I sold people into slavery. I was a sellsword. I did all these bad things. But now here I am. I'm part of the liberation. I've pledged my allegiance. I'm here to advise. Don't make, uh, you know, don't. Yeah, don't make the same mistake like Wade was saying. Don't make the broad brushstroke of everyone's evil. You can't; they can't change. And yeah, and I, I've, I, I had the same kind of reaction. Like you know, we just had this last episode, which I granted, you know, it's not, not time fixed. It could have been months between, but you know, we just had this last episode. Have you forgotten already what happens when you just so broadly declare? Punishment? Or do you just not care because you feel so, you know, true that slavery is wrong, no matter how good of a slave owner you are, that, um, you know, it just needs to be eradicated? It's an interesting um, twist there, though. She's so opposed to slavery. Are her unsullied actually free? I know she likes to say they are. I know she likes to talk up a big game, but are they really? Well, she did give them the option to leave when she took control or fight by her side. Agreed. So, But they were trained from birth to be fighters and to be loyal to the one that owned them. So even given that option, would they leave? But is that her fault? No, but are they really free? The choice is there whether they have the capacity or conviction to take it may not be. And the reason that they wouldn't is because of the training they underwent. So they're a slave to the training that has changed their <laughs> being, but not a slave in the sense of being owned. Kind of makes them a slave to themselves. True of us all. We're going to go on for hours with that one. But yep. That was deep. <laughs> What's that? I said that was deep. Yeah, that could, yeah, it could have gone uh, intense. Uh, one thing <laughs> I really loved about this episode was the interaction between Oberyn and Tyrion. I mean, this was a bread and butter of this scene and setting up for further episodes of... Agreed. Uh, obviously... That was very well done. Oh, yes. Oh, God, so much. I love how... Oberyn was telling Tyrion about the story when he, when they first met at Tyrion's birth, more or less, and that Cersei wanted him dead way back then. Tyrion makes a comment of, well, sooner or later, Cersei always get what she wants. And then you got Oberyn sitting back and making the very profound question of, well, what about what I want? I want justice, and I'm here in this city to get my justice. And you... Having the champion, uh, having the mountain against you, gives me just such an opportunity to kill the man I want to kill and spit in the face of the man who potentially gave that order. Start getting justice, as I think you would play it. You start with the mountain. Yes, but also because he's fighting for Tyrion. If he kills or defeats the mountain, that means Tyrion goes free, which will piss off Tywin, 
who Oberyn also hates because he believes Tywin gave the order to the mountain to kill Oberyn's sister. So there's a whole little ball here. He's being able to, you know, well, unravel unravel in one major action. I mean, that fight is going to be amazing. The, the tidbit trailer clips make it look well worth the wait. Yep, in case you guys didn't realize, two weeks. Yeah, we do want to make a shout out that we will be on hiatus mirroring HBO's hiatus due to Memorial Weekend. There will not be an Abundance of Thrones next week. Uh, we apologize, but if you don't like it, send an email to HBO uh, and tell them. It's Absolutely, because we'll take more episodes. That's right. The one scene that I do want to give a shout out to, though, is uh, Arya and the Hound in the Riverlands. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I had to chuckle. It was so Arya um, when they came, when they were more or less ambushed by Rorg and Biter. Yes. And the Hound um, takes care of Biter. Go ahead. I just wanted to make sure they touched on it on the show, but they did call out that these were the two men that were also in the cage with, um, oh God, what's his name? The man of a thousand faces. Yeah. What, what was his name? Daria. No, no, not Daria. Um. No, what was his name? Oh my God. Brain fart. Um, <laughs> Vela Morgulis guy. What the hell was his name? Anyway, those, these two guys were in that same cage. Um, when they were traveling to the wall. Arya mentioned it, uh, but I just wanted to make sure that was seared into the memory. Jaquen Hagar. Jaquen, Jaquen Hagar, yep. Okay, thank you. The Fantastic. way she, yes. she played that was just so well done. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not on my list. How can he be on my list? What's your name? I don't, I don't, ha- oh, I don't know his name. Oh, thank you. Now you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> The glorious thing about Needle is it can fit through those ribs just perfectly. Yeah. Like that fact when uh, he was leaving, it was uh, after she did that and Hound was, you're learning. It's like, just did that perfectly. Yeah. You know, I, in light of the last episode, I wonder how much that came back to him. You know, the fact she poked him in the mail. And Needle kind of bends a little bit. No, she knows exactly what she's doing with this. That's a good point. Uh, So you're alluding to the fact that she didn't kill the Hound in a previous episode deliberately. That was not a kill attempt. It was more of a gesturing. Yeah, I I think she has to have known that he was wearing chainmail. And that she was, you know... I think there was a little bit of surprise on her face, but I don't think it was a serious assassination attempt because we see here she knows exactly where to put it and exactly how to use it. And when she wants you dead, you'll die. Yeah. And I mean, let's face it. If she wanted to kill the hound, she wakes up before him most mornings. So a quick little poke to the jugular like we've seen him, seen her do uh, mm-hmm. prior would get the job done. Yep. So. Yeah, no, that was a great scene between the Hound showing a little bit of mercy to the, uh, I'm guessing he's a farmer or whatever he they found, a, a, you know, sitting there stabbed, to the fight scene where Arya gets to exact revenge on Rorge, 
Then you get to see a little interaction where she's trying to help him out with the wound. Fire is not an option. No. So she does a piss poor job of rinsing it out to stitch it up. And that's uh, that's not a good thing. <clears throat> Question well, was, is that deliberate? Did she get to seal the hound's fate by not rinsing it properly? Dun, dun, dun. Time will tell. Yes. Yeah, episode eight <laughs> looks like it's uh, going to be fantastic. It is titled The Mountain and the Viper. I believe it is directed by Michelle again. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure. I don't have those notes in front of me. No. It is written by the Double Ds and will be act- or has been directed by Alex Graves. Okay, Alex was the one who did uh earlier episode. Uh, he did uh, The Lion and the Rose. Uh, so that was... Um, what happened there? I forget. Oh, that was that was the <laughs> wedding. That was the Purple Wedding. Yes. Uh, thank you very Lion much. And the, you're welcome. Yes. So that was episode two. Uh, he also did episode three, Breaker of Chains. So if they do the a lot of the action, they bring those guys out. Well, they want to do a lot of storytelling. They bring what's her name? Uh, Michelle and Alec. They, uh, Alex not. Graves will also be doing the finale. So yes, uh, so it looks like they have they have directors and writers for storytelling and directors and writers for the major action pieces. It would be interesting to see how closely that tracks and if you could be able to use that to predict how exciting an episode would be based on the director. You have to pay a lot of of attention because we see some directors come through from previous seasons, but they don't use the same directors from season to season. They do change it up. So, you give everyone a fair shot. That's cool. Yeah, very true. When's well, ours? What's that? <laughs> When's our shot? Ours? Where's our shot? I need a shot of something. Um, <laughs> Two people I wouldn't be wanting to take a shot at: the Hound and the Viper. I mean, the Mountain and the Viper. Yeah, sorry, well, him too. Yeah, <laughs> all three. <laughs> all of them. Just put them in a pit and let them fight to the death. There you go. That'd be one hell of a battle. Holy hell. <laughs> the Hound, the Mountain, and the Viper all in a pit together fighting. Well, I think the Viper and the Hound would tag team the Mountain because they both have a bone to pick there. As we learned from the Hound's little speech about his face. Yes. And, and he, his loneliness. And once he's definitely done, he's no on. love lost between him and his brother. Then once he's done, you tell them both, you're not getting out of that pit until one of you is dead. Yep. Done. Well, there you go. Wade's fan fiction is in the works. Uh, the Mountain, the Hound, the Viper. Um, you could not write that without pissing off a lot of people either <laughs> way. <laughs> there you go. Well, I think That's all right. Just send an email to George R. R. Martin and ask him when his book is going to be done. He'll kill one of them off. Yeah. There you go. He did say that every time someone asks, he kills off a character. (laughs) Anyway, on that uh, little bombshell there, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, As always, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you guys in two weeks.